Romans 16. And I'm going to read starting at verse 20 and read down through 27. It says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sospater, and my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you. Tertius is his, well, how you pronounce it, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his secretary, you might say, or the one who actually penned the letter. We believe Paul had an eye problem. He couldn't see well, so he had people write for him. Anyway, that's Tertius. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cortez, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. This, is the, this was the, is the conclusion, of course, of Paul's epistle to the churches at Rome. This, this is his summary, you might say. You know, Paul wrote some of the great doctrines of the faith of, of the Man's depravity, chapter 1, and his sin, uh, being justified by faith, chapters 2, 3, and 4, 5, and of course our sanctification, chapters 8 through 11, or, or 8, 8, 9, 10, 11. Of course, he talked about Israel in there, verses in chapters 9 through 11. And then chapters 12, he talks about putting it into practice in everyday life. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Separation, chapter 16. And here he concludes that, and I've titled this this morning, that we ought to be or can be established by the power of God. And so that's what I titled the message, Established by God, uh, as we conclude this book uh, here this morning. So let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we do have to open your precious word. I pray that as we Consider the subject this morning that we would be encouraged and challenged and we would allow you to establish us, to strengthen us, uh, to give us uh, a firmness and a stability in our walk with the Lord that would bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So have your will and your way and may you be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we consider being, being established, that word established means to be rendered constant or firm. I want to notice several things here that are vital uh, to bringing us to that point as God's people. First of all, we understand that we have a God of peace. Verse 20, he says, and the God of peace. You know, verses 16 or 17 uh, through 20 there, uh, verse 17, 18 in particular, talk about uh, the visions that are going to come 
in the church, and you know, we might add to that, uh, of course, along with that, there's offenses that are contrary to doctrines we have learned and, avo- and how we're to avoid them. We looked at that last week. So there's going to be things come into our life. You know, Jesus told the disciples before he was crucified, before he went to the cross, that offenses will come. If you're going to live for God in this world, there are going to be offenses. People are going to offend you. And guess what? It's on purpose. They do it because they hate the Lord. Jesus said, they hated me and they will hate you. So there will, he said, there will be offenses. But I have told you, and really what he means in, in chapter 16 or there, John, he says, look, I'm giving you forewarning, so don't be surprised when it happens because it's going to. Offenses are going to come. People are going to wrong you. And, but you need to understand that we serve a God and who can carry us through, can give us grace and peace through because He is the God of peace. Our God is the God of peace. God is not the cause of division. You know, some people have this idea that, that uh, God's the problem. And therefore, we also are the problem. You know, if they could just get rid of us. Remember when Bill Clinton was going through all his scandals back in the 90s? And there was a there was a uh, 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 a little thing put out, and I'm not sure who wrote it, but but Bill Clinton uh, claimed that he was a victim of the religious right with all his immoral scandals. You know, he wasn't the wrong. He wasn't the one that was wrong. He was the victim of the religious right. So what's he doing? He's blaming people like us for causing his problems instead of taking responsibility. You know, that's what the world does. So there will be offenses. But see, our God is God of peace. He's the God of peace. He isn't the cause of division. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything God did and made was very good. That that phrase there, those two words, very good, means good, pleasant, agreeable, excellent, kind. You know, when God made the world, when God made lions, they didn't eat rabbits. They didn't kill rabbits. Dogs didn't kill cats. And cats didn't kill mice. And people didn't kill each other. God didn't make us that way. In fact, it's ingrained in every man's conscience, thou shalt do no murder. You aren't born wanting to murder. <laughs> You're trained to do it. Uh, I mean, if you watch enough television, you'll do it. Because there's constant murders on there. But anyway, you know, everything, everything God made was agreeable. It was excellent. It was kind. Psalm 85.5 says, I will hear what the Lord the God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Isaiah 52, 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, 
that publisheth peace. If you are publishing the good tidings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are publishing peace. You know, if men would embrace the truth of the word of God, they'd lay down their arms. We wouldn't need nuclear bombs. They wouldn't destroy each other. In fact, that's what the kingdom age is going to be all about. It's going to be a reign of peace. Acts 10.36 says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Psalm 119 verse 165 says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know, even in this world of, 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 of turmoil and chaos, it's possible for you and I to have peace in our soul. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 4, 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safely, safety. You know, in every epistle that Paul writes to the churches in the New Testament, he gives this greeting, something about grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, To all to be a room, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, But God hath called us to peace. God hath called us. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers. 1 Corinthians 14.33 God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. If there's confusion or chaos or strife in the church it is not of God. Somebody is serving the devil. Ezekiel 37.26 He said Speaking of the children of Israel, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant. And you come over to the New Testament, and there's a similar statement in Hebrews 13 20. Now, the God of peace, he's the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And the kingdom of God. As we, as we think about it, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace. Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is peace. You know, when we wholeheartedly embrace His law, His will, His commandments, when we bring ourselves in agreement with Him, it brings peace to our troubled souls. It brings us into right relationship with the God of peace, the Prince of peace, the presence of peace through His Holy Spirit. It's a peace that passeth all understanding. You know, when we accept the sovereign rule of God and understand that He cares for us so much that He's willing to die for us, we can have the peace of God. And so we see here that He is the God of peace. And one of these days He's going to put an end to the strife in our world caused by the devil. He's going to bruise Satan. 
So he is the God of peace. We understand we serve a God of peace. Secondly, he's the God of power. If you notice in verse 25, he says, Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. He is a God of power. God has, you know, we say that God is omnipotent, that he has all power. The word power here has the idea of to be able. To be able. You know, think about the power that God has. In Genesis 18, the Lord visits Abraham in the plains of Mamre. And he told him that his 99-year-old wife is going to have a son. And his 90-year-old wife, 99-year-old wife, says, Ha, 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 that's funny. Ha, 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 ha. he said, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? And then he said this, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now you say, that's unbelievable. Uh Uh-huh, it is. But I don't care if it's believable or not. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Because he has, he is able, he is of the power to make it happen. You know, we, we, we marvel at the miracles that Jesus did in the New Testament. What about the ones in the Old Testament? Look at Numbers chapter 11 for a minute. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. You know, the children of Israel have been murmuring about this manna, angel's food. I'd like to try angel's food. But, but you know, they murmured about it. I guess if you ate it for 35, 40 years, maybe you'd get tired. You know, we'd probably all get tired of it, you know. You know, you know, some people find it, you know, my wife finds it amazing that I can eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. Two eggs. I don't care if they're fried. I don't care if they're poached. I don't care if they're soft-boiled. I, I, you know, I prefer not them scrambled. I, I don't like scrambled as well. But I will eat eggs every morning. And a bowl of cereal. Granola or bran flakes, preferably. But I eat it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Same thing every day. But you know, some people don't like that. And children of Israel didn't like this, got tired of this man, and they murmured, and they wanted flesh to eat like they had in Egypt. In Numbers chapter 11, God heard their murmuring. In verse 16 he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, to may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh to eat, flesh, and ye shall eat it. You know really what they're saying? You know, we were better off serving the Egyptians than we are serving God. Think about it. That's offensive to a holy God. And notice verse 19. 
ye shall not eat one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Now remember where they are. They're in a wilderness. And the Lord tells Moses, you tell these people that they're not going to eat meat just one day or two or three or five or ten or twenty, but a whole month. And Moses is looking around and says, uh, uh, Lord, um, I mean, there's 600,000 men plus women and children. Where are you going to get flesh to feed these people for 30 days? Are you going to slay all our flocks and our herds? Or are you going to take all the fish out of the sea? Where are you going to get it? And verse 23 it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. You see, this is the God who created the world from nothing, and then destroyed that world with a flood. This is the same God that divided the Red Sea, stopped the flowing, uh, flooding river Jordan, delivered three Hebrews from the mightiest man on earth of his time, and then humbled that mighty man and took his kingdom for, from him till he humbled himself before God and then gave him his kingdom back. To me, that's a miracle of miracles. In that day of conquerors and taking from people who are of less privilege than you are, it's amazing that he got his kingdom back. But God said he would. See, there isn't anything God can't do. I mean, he shut the mouths of lions. No, he shut the mouths of hungry lions. He can stop rain for three and a half years and then send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice in response to the prayer of his servant. He fed his people, 2 million plus, 40 years in the wilderness. He gave an 85-year-old man power over giants. He had a raven provide meals on wheels for his prophet. He raised the widow's son, extended the widow's meal and the widow's oil. He can save the chief of sinners, a blasphemer, a persecutor of his children, and make him an apostle to the Gentiles to take the gospel of Christ to places that once hated, he once hated. Take that gospel he once hated to regions beyond and before kings. How did he do that? Well, Paul said this in Galatians 2.8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the, of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And this power, this power that he has is in his word. See, his word, if you notice again in verse 25, now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which is kept secret since the world began. This power is in his word. 
It has the power to do or to accomplish, to establish, to render us constant or firm. You know, Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He simply spoke it, and it was. There is power in his word. And, and remember what he said in Numbers eleven twenty three when he's speaking to Moses. He said, and the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation as past and the left death and light. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in him, If you continue in my word. See, the power is in the word. You know, th- this power of God is inherent in the gospel. You know, it's a quality that exists in it. It is power. When he started this letter, or this epistle in Romans 1, 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20 the, the, the Jehoshaphat said to the children of Israel Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in your Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. You need to believe his word. It has power. He is the God of power. And he's thirdly, he's the God of his word. Now, I want to mention two things about this. When we think about him being a God of his word, first of all, he has revealed himself in his word. Again, verse 25 says, Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. See, God has revealed himself to us in his word. Now, it says it was kept secret. There was something kept secret from the world. What does he mean it was kept secret? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Did the Old Testament saints know God was going to provide a deliverer or a savior. Well, I think they knew that he was going to provide some way of deliverance. They knew, for example, they knew he was going to be born in the lineage of David. That was given in the prophets. They also knew, according to Micah 5, 2, that this one would be born in Bethlehem. They knew he would be like unto Moses, because Moses said, a prophet... Shall the Lord your God raise up like unto me, him shall ye hear. So they knew it was going to be like Moses. He's going to have special power from God. But let me ask you this. Did they know that he would be God himself? And I think we'd have to say, no, they did not know that. They didn't know that. See, that was kept secret. That was hidden from them. That was hidden from them. Did they know it was going to be the Son of God? You know, what does 1 Timothy 3.16 say? Great was the what? Mystery. In other words, something that was hidden, but is now revealed. Great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest 
in the flesh. You see, what was kept secret here Paul is referring to is the revelation of Jesus Christ as the God-man. They, didn't, they knew that a Savior was coming, but they didn't know it was going to be God Himself. In fact, most of them didn't accept it was God Himself. See, this, this, was, this was hid. You know, we can see it now. It was hid in pictures and types. You get a pretty strong hint in Genesis 22.8. You remember when Abraham was told by the Lord to go offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And Isaac said, Father, we have the wood and the fire. But where's the burnt offering? And Abraham said this, God himself shall provide a sacrifice. Now think about those terms. God himself. And in Jesus Christ, God himself provided the sacrifice. It was himself. You see, we, we see pictures of it. It's hidden. I don't think Abraham understood that the Son of God, he, you know, he maybe had a, he, he probably thought about it. You know, Mary, the Bible tells us that Mary, would, the prophets would say, or Simeon said things, and Anna said things, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. She wondered about them. But see, that now this is made manifest. God has, if he were, removed the veil and made himself plain and revealed his plan and his will and his salvation to us and his deliverance to us. And it's commanded by God that we make it known. Verse 26 says, But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. You see, we, God has revealed this to us, that, that he's, the Deliverer is, the Savior is the Son of God, and our purpose is, is to, so that we can know Him and obey His will and make Him known to all nations, that we might come in obedience of faith, referring to salvation. So God's revealed himself in his word. You know, John, in, in John chapter 1, the uh, no, Bible says, no man has seen God, but, but the Son hath declared him. In other words, he made him known. He's made him known. So God has revealed himself in his word. Secondly, God is a God of his word. In other words, he is reliable. That is, he keeps his word. He keeps his word. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says this, So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. In other words, it's going to fulfill what I said it would fulfill. It'll do what I say it'll do. Again, Numbers 11, 23, he said to Moses, Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass or not. You know, the world is saying to us, where's God? Why don't he prove himself? Look at the stars. Look at the heavens. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. But the world won't accept what God has declared. Just as the world in Bible times would not accept what Jesus said about himself. You know, the atheist I was talking to the other day, he said that, he said that Jesus was a good man, a good example, you know, a good teacher. And I said, oh, I've got a question. How can he be that? How can he be a good man, a good teacher, and make the claims that he did if you're saying he isn't the son of God? I mean, that's a contradiction. See, the world is, is look, looking for signs. They're looking for signs. Well, we know, even if they see signs, which Jesus gave them signs, they won't believe. Jesus is yet going to give them signs. When we start looking at Revelation chapter 6, 7, and 8, there are going to be plenty of signs. And they're going to say, they're going to hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. And then it's going to say, and they repented not of their sorceries. You know, God is going to show himself one of these days. And the amazing thing is, they will keep right on rejecting him, just like Pharaoh did. You see, God is going to keep his word. You know, there are some things God can't do. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, God cannot and will not contradict himself. You know, you and I sometimes, we end up contradicting ourselves. Maybe not necessarily on purpose, but we do it. We make promises sometimes that we cannot keep. God never has never made a promise, never will make a promise that he will not keep. He is reliable. He is a God of his word. Third, fourthly, he is the God of wisdom. In verse 27 of Romans 16, it says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You know, God only wise... You know, the wisdom, you know, we need to stop and consider the wisdom of God's plan of redemption. The wisdom of God's plan of redemption. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, and after he talked about the great doctrines of the faith, he said, uh, you know, who, 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 uh, who have been his counselor? Uh, it's not Romans chapter 8, it's Romans chapter 11. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 33. Oh, the depth and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsel, counselor? You know, God's wisdom is far exceeds, uh, and he is all wisdom. Of course, you know, the, the great uh, conundrum that God had 
or the problem, you might say, which isn't a problem with God. God can solve any problem. Is that God is holy and man is not. Now, we know that God is holy. Isaiah 6.3 says he is holy, holy, holy. He's thrice holy God. Uh, Isaiah 57.15 says he is the high and lofty one that I have in this attorney whose name is holy. He, Habakkuk 1.13 says he is a purer eyes than to behold evil. He can't not look on iniquity. Therefore, ha- he cannot fellowship with sin, which means he cannot have a relationship with, with sinners. Or he would violate his holiness. Yet, he made man in his image, in his likeness, with the ability to have a relationship with him. That was God's purpose in making man. Was to have a relationship, to have fellowship with him. But because of man's sin and rebellion against God, his refusal to believe God, to obey him, it was really he believed the devil, God can't fellowship with man. And Job asked a question, Job 25, 4. How then can a man be justified with God? You've got a holy God who can't not look on evil. As a pure eyes and to behold evil. Can't not look on iniquity. You've got man who has sinned and rebelled against God. So how can God even look at, how can he have a relationship with man? That's a real problem. That's what Job asks. How can he be clean that is born of a woman? You know, that is a great problem, but not for God. See, God's solution to the problem is he paid the penalty himself. In his son. You see, God in his wisdom and love provided a way to meet his holiness and yet reconcile himself to sinful man. And that's why Paul said, his ways are past finding out. His ways are past finding out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, God paid the penalty himself. Therefore, the penalty that was paid is acceptable to him. Because he paid it. You and I could never make an acceptable payment for sin. Because we are sinners. Because we are sinners. See, God is. You know, and every, you know, and, and my purpose isn't this morning to get into to all the issues of life, but, but God understands man. He understands the issues of life. In every issue of life that God addresses, there's wisdom. He knows the answers. I was reading this morning, for example, about a man who tried to become a woman. And he spent how many years of his life trying to become a woman. And one day he realized, I'm not a woman. And after having all these therapists, 
that he went to, encouraging him, and doctors, encouraging him to try and become a woman, and a judge, and he was the first one who actually got a birth certificate that, and then he, instead of becoming a woman, he would become neither a man or a woman. He got a birth certificate that had, that he was, uh, um, was something binary, this term. Non-binary. In other words, he wasn't a man or a woman. He was the first one to get that on his birth certificate. That he wasn't a man or a woman, he was an ex. And it set precedents for cases all across the country. A thousand people who have since done that. And he said, I only had one therapist tried to discourage me. Only one. But he said, I come to, I come to realize that and he said, and I've scarred my life. And I'm not a man. I, that I am a man. And I can't be a woman. And I'm not a neither. I am one or the other. You can't be neither. You know what? God said he made them male and female. It's really simple. See, God has all wisdom. He has made unto us wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. And so it ought to cause us, knowing knowing that God is a God of peace, He's a God of all power, He's the God of His Word, He is the God of all wisdom, it ought to cause us to bow our knees to Him. Look at at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 9, Ephesians 3, verse 9 says, and, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God. And, of course, we're talking about the revelation of Christ, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the term of the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this cause, because of the mystery that God has made known and his wisdom to us and the purpose in Christ, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we serve the God of peace, of power, uh, a God of his word, keeps his word, the God of all wisdom. Why do we not wholly follow him? Why do we not fully, wholly obey him, wholly surrender? Why? I'm afraid we'd have to admit that we're just like the children of Israel. We don't really believe him. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. If we're not believing God, who are we believing? Look at chapter Ephesians chapter one, verse nineteen. Ephesians one verse nineteen. It says, And what is exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places.
You see, the key to God establishing us is understanding who he is and then believing it. And believing it, of course, requires an action on our part. You remember the man who five times said, it is said of him, he wholly followed the Lord his God? You know, he was that 85-year-old that conquered the giants. He believed God. He saw all the giants just like all the other, all the other spies did. He saw everything they saw. He saw the walled cities. He saw the giants. But he also saw God. And he believed what God said. And he was willing to act on what God said. He didn't know how it was all going to shake down, how they were going to accomplish what God had said they were going to accomplish, but he believed what God said. And he said, let's go do it. It's a matter of believing. Hudson Taylor, of course, is well known for his missionary service. In his book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, he said this, Entering the mission field, Hudson Taylor dealt with difficulties, inward and outward, great and small. But in them all, joy flowed unhindered from the presence of the Lord himself. He learned that, for him, only one life was possible. Just that blessed life of resting and rejoicing in the Lord under all circumstances. Listen as he describes how he came to find rest in the promises of God. In great spiritual agony, I wandered out on the sands alone. And there the Lord conquered my unbelief. And I centered myself to God for this service. I told him that all the responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him. As his servant, my part was to obey and follow him, while his was to direct, care for, and guide me and those who might labor with me. At once peace flowed into my burdened heart. If God should place me in great perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? Or if he put me in positions of great difficulty, must he not give me much grace? Or in circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength? His resources are mine, for he is mine and is with me and dwells in me. I am no longer anxious about anything. As I realize this, he I know is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. It makes no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. In the easiest position, he must give me grace. In the most difficult circumstance, his grace is sufficient. No matter how intricate my path, how difficult my service, how sad my bereavement, how far away my loved ones, how helpless I am, how deep are my soul yearnings. Jesus can more than meet them all. See, Hudson Taylor believed God. If God led me, leads me to China, then God's responsibility, taking care of me and providing for me, is His. It's His. See, it's a matter of belief. We have to believe it. And great things are possible 
to him that believeth. We serve a great God. You know, the world's full of chaos. They can curse God. They curse God. They blaspheme his holy name. They persecute people like us. In fact, I just read yesterday that on average there's 11 Christians martyred every day in the world. More than any other time in history. 11. Now that Christian term is pretty broad, but that's what's being martyred every day according to those who keep that research. But we have a God who knows and cares. And he's promised to provide for our needs. He is only wise. He has all power. We simply need to believe him and take him at his word and rest in his promises.